Don't put coffee up your ass. It belongs in your mouth. You're picking the wrong orifice. <laughs> Why, hello, my name is Dr. Joshua Walrich, and welcome to my podcast, Willing to be Wrong. For those of you who may have just stumbled across this and don't know me, I'm an NHS surgical doctor, author, and unintended influencer, currently on a year out from the hospital to study for a nutrition master's. My debut book, Food Isn't Medicine, is due to be released on the 15th of April, and in it I talk about the complex nature of weight and health and the principles of health at every size, why the phrase food is medicine is actually harmful, and then I debunk a whole load of nutribolics from coffee enemas supposedly curing cancer, or just the standard sugar makes you fat. If any of that resonates with you, it is currently available for pre-order, but I'm really excited to introduce you to my guest for this episode, Pixie Turner. Pixie is a registered nutritionist, soon-to-be psychotherapist, science communicator, and author of several brilliant nutrition books. I first came across her on social media warning people about the charlatan that is the medical medium back in 2018, and she's since become a really good friend. In this episode, Pixie talks in depth about emotional eating, especially in regards to why it's not always the terrible thing that we so commonly treat it as. This is a conversation that I believe is so important to be having, and I really appreciate the way that she approaches it. First though, I wanted to ask about, as she calls it, her wellness wanker period, when she used to juice cleanse and challenge herself to only eat raw food, and how she was lucky enough to escape that community before things got even worse. I was going to get one thing which I thought was quite funny, hang on a second. The um the book launch that I went to, the first book launch that you had when I knew you, mm -hmm. um, you decided to write on the inside of this book. Hey, Joshua, maybe this book will teach you something. That would be pretty cool. I mean, I know more than you, so enjoy. <laughs> Did you forget you wrote that? I have no memory of writing that. Oh my gosh, I have no memory of that, but that is iconic. It's. I mean, it's very correct. It is true. When it comes to nutrition, I do know more than you. Yeah, no, no, you do. Yeah. E even though I'm trying to, to, I'll never catch up, but I'm trying to get like an official qualification too, so that I can be slightly more respectable. But, um, but I think that sums up our relationship quite well in the terms of like, I feel like I learn quite a lot from you. Um, and I like that. But you were a bit of a wellness wanker as well yourself at one point. Uh, and uh, I'm intrigued as to whether or not you're happy to have a chat about that because the title of this podcast is Willing to be Wrong. And I think this could be the first like proper conversation where we talk about something where you had to change your tune on something. Is that, was that accurate as a description? Yeah, absolutely. And I was wrong. And I did then change my mind and I admitted I was wrong. So absolutely, I think it's an important conversation to have. And it fits with the title of the podcast. So yeah, let's do it. I know, right? Smashing it. Um, so t well, tell me what happened then. Tell me, tell me about your wellness wanker days when you, when you were going to apply for medical school and, and all the like, because I don't think everybody necessarily knows that side of you, even though you've written a blog about it and you've, you don't exactly hide it. Um, I think that might come as a bit of a surprise to, to some people. Yeah, that is a good point. Not everyone knows that when I was 19, I suddenly decided to go vegan, but not just vegan, I decided to go vegan and gluten-free and refined sugar-free and soy-free. And I also decided to start taking a whole bunch of superfoods and do the occasional juice cleanse and raw food challenge oh. and post about all of this on Instagram. 
And the reason I decided to do all of this was because I had a bit of a health scare when I was 19 and I went balls deep into the wellness community and followed a whole bunch of people on Instagram who had claimed to heal themselves through food. And I thought, hmm, I'll have some of that. And so I decided to do exactly what they were doing in the hopes that it would do the same for me. And I posted about it on Instagram and very quickly gained a large number of followers. I gained something like 80,000 followers in the space of two years through posting pictures of my food with the most boring captions imaginable. I mean, I can I can attest to that very very well. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like apart from the um, apart from some of the routes you went down, the last bit you said about posting pictures of food and gaining a following that is, I mean, welcome to the club. Slash, you prob I think you did that before me, so I am joining you in that club. But um, yeah, that's actually more than I necessarily knew, and we've talked about this a good few times in the past. I didn't realize you'd cut out soy as well, and I knew you'd cut out like sugar that's like the standard wellness thing to do right but um I didn't realize it was quite that food is medicine type approach which uh you know food isn't medicine you and I are both on the same page on that one absolutely we, you know we don't need to talk about that as a as a phrase it's fine um so what happened then was this when you were thinking of applying to medical school when you went down this whole route you said you were 19 was this just after I'd already applied to medical school and didn't get in by that point. So I was studying biochemistry instead, hoping it was a way in to eventually going to medical school. Uh. And uh, I mean, this was in 2013, I think, that I started posting. Well, 2012, 2000, late, late 2012, early 2013, that's when I started posting. So, I mean, oh, fucking hell, it's almost 10 years ago now. It's such a long time. <laughs> what, 10 years ago that you were plantbasedpixie.com? Yes. Well, I mean, it very much, the name Plant Based Pixie fit with the kind of style of what everyone was calling themselves at the time, you know, deliciously Ella, honestly healthy, mm. all of these things. And so I thought, well, Plant Based Pixie, it fits. So I picked it and, you know, alliteration, it worked. So that's what I called myself on Instagram. And that's what people started eventually coming up in the street to say, are you Plant Based Pixie? And I was like, yes. It was like my first name was Plant Based and my last name was Pixie by that point. Well, they recognized your face from the photos of the food you were posting. The very occasional picture of me that appeared and throughout through the events I was organizing as well. Oh, well, there we go. Um, I think it's interesting because it is it goes down that whole route of our food choices becoming part of our identity when we express ourselves to the wider public. And at the current moment in time in the 21st century, that is social media. The, the whole identity politics around food definitely hasn't gone anywhere as of yet. I mean, carnivore MD. I, I refuse to lump other people in it, but let's just let's just let's just say that hasn't really left, has it? <laughs> no, unfortunately not. And my God, am I so happy that that's not part of my identity anymore? Because it did it it did really become my identity. That's that's who I was. That's who I became. And it was a little bit of a double life in a sense because all my food and the events I was going to, the restaurants on Instagram all looked quite exciting and glamorous. But behind the scenes, I was just a student living in halls and living in, you know, shitty accommodation in East London, just trying to study and pass my degree. Well, wh what I'm intrigued about is how you went from that, from plant-based pixie to um, very much not a wellness wanker, who writes books on um, why you don't need to diet and why social media is impacting your relationship with food and 
things about orthorexia and I think I, I think I may have referenced your paper on orthorexia in the past for certain reasons. So how did you go from that to, to now? Like how, did, how did that happen? So after my degree, I again applied to medical school and I did not get in again. So I decided to take a gap year with my partner at the time and we went traveling. And as part of that, we spent around six months living in Melbourne in Australia. And that was amazing. I loved living in Melbourne. I really got in with the whole wellness community there. I worked in an organic health food shop. They hired me because I knew what all the ingredients were, not because I had significant retail experience. (laughs) That's why they hired me. I made friends with other wellness wankers in Melbourne. And then one day I was in a car with a whole whole group of these, these wellness bloggers, these wellness people. And one of them said, I would never dream of vaccinating my kids. And I was just so shocked by that. While everyone else in the car agreed, I sat there thinking, what the fuck am I doing with these people? So at that point, I realized that if they were saying this, that I knew to be so, so wrong and dangerous, what else perhaps had I been led to believe was true that might not have been. Mm. And coincidentally, really shortly after that, the whole Bell Gibson scandal broke. Mm. And the world suddenly knew that Bell Gibson, who claimed to cure her terminal brain cancer with food, didn't actually do that. In fact, she never had cancer in the first place. And it was a huge story and it was all everyone talked about. And all of this was happening around the same time. And the culmination of these things, plus the physical distance that I had from the entire wellness community, which was back in London, that I knew, really gave me the space to actually re-examine everything that I thought was true about food and health, to really kind of take a a step back, reassess everything, and slowly start to dismantle my beliefs in a way, in privately, in a way that I could do because I was on the other side of the world. And because this shocking anti-vax statement was thrown in the car and because I had started to develop a serious distrust in the wellness community because of Bell Gibson and the whole house of cards just came crashing down and then I returned to the UK a few months later I had a place to study medicine in Germany I cancelled that and I so I in I applied to do a master's degree in nutrition that July I got accepted in August and I started in September it was a very quick decision hmm. and a very good one. <laughs> I mean, there's, I st- oh. see, it's quite, it's quite amazing in a sense that because it's, it could so easily have gone the other way as well. And I'm hoping not, not, I, I mean, I'm going to say this in a non-insulting manner. You're not stupid. I'm a really fucking smart person. You are. Yeah, I, as, as you wrote in the book, you know more than me and I could do well to learn from you. Um, but um, the reason why I say that, and, and it, that's not to say that I think people that believe this stuff are stupid. I think that's a perfect example as to you are you were someone who was um science mind are science minded you'd done a you know a a biochemistry degree you weren't exactly someone who had no idea of the concepts around physiology of the human body or things like that and yet you still found yourself believing some of the stuff that you that you did i often find myself saying to people that it doesn't mean that they're stupid this isn't the point the point here isn't to treat them like they just they just have no idea what they're talking about. It's more complicated than that. Why people believe this stuff, and 
I'm yeah, I'm really glad that that there was that one moment or that that combination culmination of events that ended up pushing you down towards the other way because oh, I mean, it's not uncommon for people to believe that kind of stuff to believe the stuff about vaccinations. It's not uncommon for people to believe that kind of stuff to then start believing conspiracy theories about QAnon and these things come together in a really scary way and is one of one of the reasons why when people are like why are you bothering this stuff doesn't matter you know who cares about blood type diets no one cares it's not harming anyone I'm like yes no yes it is <laughs> like the more likely people believe these blood type diets the more likely they're going to believe that the vaccines are trying to kill them and insert microchips and it's it's a weird it's a really weird slope so yeah i'm thank you for thank you for um for sharing that i don't you, you know you shouldn't be ashamed of any of that but i think some people do find it hard to speak about the stuff that they've believed in the past that they're kind of a little bit ashamed of. Like I, you know, I'm I am still ashamed of the way that I treated some of the patients that I dealt with in the past when it comes to my perceptions around weight and health. Um, and yeah, if I believed that sugar was out to kill me and that soy was going to mess with my hormones, I'd probably be a little bit ashamed as well. But I don't think we should reject our our the, the slight ashamedness. Now I'm just rambling, but does that kind of that kind of make sense? A little bit yeah it makes total sense and it took me a little while to really figure out how is it possible that i as an intelligent person who was doing a science degree could end up falling for all of this hmm. and once i started unpicking it i realized well my intelligence had nothing to do with it whatsoever and actually it was everything to do with the fact that my personality type was is just very much is very perfectionistic very all or nothing if i do something i do i go balls deep into it straight away there's no half-assing anything that i do so of course i was going to go balls deep into wellness in the same way of course i was going to do that mm. and i was vulnerable at the time i was you know I was, I was young and i thought i was very healthy and suddenly i was told that i wasn't and now I can approach this with the understanding that it's an existential crisis because these are the fundamental existential questions are who am I, what defines me, what is my purpose in life, and why me? And, you know, what happens after we die? These are the fundamental existential questions, and one of those is why me? And that was the question I was facing was why me? Why am I as a 19-year-old being told that I'm not healthy and that was really tricky and so i was in a vulnerable place mm -hmm. and so something came along that was very appealing very certain very simple and beautifully coated mm -hmm. in a beautiful narrative so i went for it i absolutely went for it and you know sure i was studying biochemistry at the time how the fuck does that work well anyone who studied biochemistry will hopefully understand that by that point i was in i was just heading into my second year we did a little bit on metabolism, but for the most part, when you study biochemistry, you're going so deep into the specifics of certain pathways or specific receptors. It is so specific and on such a level that I just could not really connect it with my experience of being a human being living, living in a human body. I did an entire module on photosynthesis. I did an entire module on microbial metabolism. I could not give less of a shit about those things to that extent. <laughs> It was a lot. I did, an, I did an entire module on like specific like receptor kinases like and stuff like that. Like too specific. 
Mm. How am I supposed to connect that to my experience of being a human? I just can't. There was a total disconnect. So there was n there was no way that my biochemistry degree was going to be a protective factor in any way in this story. Yeah. Well, and actually, um, then comes in that conversation around how uh, a learning of biomedical science doesn't actually help you understand nutritional science very much. It can give you a little bit of it, it can definitely give you something right let's not you know it research is research and it does does give you some understanding of scientific processes in general but there are some big differences between biomedical science that we learn both in a biochemistry degree and also in a medical degree which is one of the reasons why there are so many doctors that get so confused about nutrition and and treating food as medicine as well and nutritional science there's such a huge difference between the two um that's one of the reasons why it's actually it almost feels more common for people with that kind of traditional science background to get sucked into this this reductionist approach to nutrition to believing that all of these little molecules can do because we you've learned the pathways it, it they, they must act like drugs oh that makes sense okay then well in which case um i will eat this particular vegetable and it will cure this particular bit of inflammation in my body because that makes sense about the pathways i'd learned but there's no concept or understanding of the wider just diet and and how this actually works in our body yeah and you know more than that there's also the fact that stories are more convincing than facts hmm. and that's not just for me that is just a human thing is that we are more compelled by stories than we are by facts and here i was as a 19 year old on instagram reading all of these stories that people were telling about their own healing through food that was always going to be more powerful especially to someone who was in a vulnerable place yeah. like i was that was always going to have so much power. And it did. It did have so much power. It's why these people like Bell Gibson end up getting all these followers and all these, you know, book deals and everything. And people believe them because why would you lie about your own story? And even when they do admit that they were lying about it in those rare situations, people still believe them weirdly. Like people don't really, it's, it's people will find reasons as to why they were actually telling the truth and they've just been made to lie because it's all a big conspiracy and oh, it does, it concerns me. Mm -hmm. um, um, now, the, the way that you talked about some of that stuff made me, um, made me go, ooh, psychotherapy. Um, and so <laughs> I wanted to, okay. to kind of, I, I think it fits really nicely, the way you were talking about the, the, the thought processes and, and what we look for in life, all that kind of stuff. I feel like some of that is like the whole budding psychotherapist coming out to play a little bit there. And seeing as one of the main things that people asked about overwhelmingly was about emotional eating um and there's a whole lovely link and you may or may not have done some like semi-famous talk about it recently which we'll get on to um now just for my listeners this sounds like i prepared questions and i apologize because <laughs> i i kind of like i haven't but this this is almost like like i'm being a traitor when i said i wasn't gonna prepare any questions this isn't preparing this is just this is just because i know pixie and this is good good uh good good work around um so you are training to be a psychotherapist alongside being a nutritionist why why would you why would you bother spending all of that money um and and using all of that time um when it's not teaching you any more about nutrition i'm being slight devil's advocate here but why no, it's a very valid question because there are very few nutrition professionals in the uk who have done or even considered a kind of 
therapeutic training in that sense. So it's a very valid question. I think the more time I've spent in clinic talking to people about their relationships with food, the more I find that we have so many conversations that just aren't about food. And I started to realize pretty quickly that when we talk about food, we are talking about so many different things. We are talking about someone's identity. We are talking about the way someone feels about themselves, their self-worth, what they've been taught about themselves and their bodies in life. We're talking about shame. We're talking about you know, internalized homophobia. We're talking about so many different things. We're talking about abuse. We're talking about trauma. There are just so many things that are tied to food. You know, we're talking about love. There are so many of these conversations. Mm. And the reason I'm having these conversations with people is because it starts from a place of them saying, I want to talk about food. And we end up going so many levels deeper than that to talk about so many fascinating aspects of what makes them who they are because it all links to food in its way. And I've had a lot of therapy and I love it. And I think it's absolutely incredible. And I credit it with partly with making me the person I am today, which I'm kind of fond of the person I am today. So that's kind of a, good, a nice thing. And I realized that if I was going to continue to do the work that I wanted to be doing, I owed it to myself and my clients to get this kind of training so that I could do this work to the best of my ability. And also it's absolutely fascinating beyond belief. And it's exciting. I mean, you, you've sold it to me. Um, <laughs> I think that's a great answer. Um, and also, I love the fact that you said you're you're fond of who you are today. Well, I do, we don't really say that kind of thing out loud very much, do we? Yeah, we should say it more. Yeah, I don't think I've said that. Yeah, I'm fond of who I am today as well. I think that's cool. Good. Um, Good. Yeah. I don't know. This is this. Do I need to start paying you for a therapy session now? Is that how this is going to become? <laughs> <laughs> not yet. Um, not yet, because I'm not yet qualified. True. Okay. Well, I can just pay you for a nutrition session, and and then it will turn into a therapy session, which is exactly what's been going on. Um, yeah. In a very good. Ma no, look, I'm not jumping you in it, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Like that's been accidentally, and that's why you're you've got the integrity to spend a stupid amount of money and take several years to um to be more qualified in that manner. I think it's really cool. It is a lot um, of money. It's a lot of money. <laughs> it's obscene, really. It's 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 ridiculous. And it's so much time and I'm doing it alongside full-time work, which is a lot. You know what's funny is also... Um, what, do you want a medal? What What is this? <laughs> no, you know what's funny is that actually uh, quite a few of my clients, when they talk about our sessions and me with their family and friends, they describe it as therapy. Uh, which is which I've always found really interesting because at first it made me a bit uncomfortable and then I realized well actually it makes a lot of sense because I totally get it can feel therapeutic it can feel like therapy hmm. and also the kind of things we're talking about might be more seen as being in the realm of therapy sometimes and for some people especially my clients who are in larger bodies if they tell their friends and family, I'm seeing a nutritionist, there's an expectation and an assumption that they're there to lose weight, which is absolutely not what we're doing in the slightest. We are not focusing on intentional weight loss. Mm. So when they say I'm I'm going to see a therapist or I'm in therapy, people just have a totally different understanding and don't make the assumption about weight, 
which puts them in an easier position where they don't have to defend their decision to not go with intentional weight loss as a primary outcome. Wow. It's weird that. Like it's 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 amazing how that is now the what what word am I looking for? That is the example or the the person that you're going to see that are that results in less questions about your body um yeah. and about who you are and about uh, you know and be, because that definitely wouldn't have been the case the amount of stigma that was so traditionally placed on mental health there's now more stigma on body size that people would rather say that they're seeing a mental health professional than they're seeing someone who stereotypically would be seen as dealing with body size that's a that's that's a yeah that's pretty amazing to me i know um, it's quite something it says a lot really it does say a lot it says so much to me that I couldn't figure out what words I was trying to say when I was expressing how I was feeling about it. <laughs> um, um, so I would, I would love to ask you, um, uh, what, what was this fancy talk that you did that you did recently, which links so nicely on to the whole, um, to the whole psychotherapy addition to your nutritional arsenal? What was this? Come on, tell us, tell us, because I think we should all be proud of you. Tell us what happened. Oh, I mean, it was no big deal. I just did a TEDx talk recently <laughs> at Abbey Road Studios. Woo! It was kind of amazing. I'm very proud of myself. You can watch it on YouTube now, you which is very exciting. My mom is very excited and has shared it with everyone she knows. <laughs> well, that's well, that's great. And what was that? What was that talk about? See, that was this is the important bit. I was talking about how there are no such things as good and bad foods, and I was linking that in particular to emotional eating and that leads us so nicely on to please tell us about emotional eating because this is a it is a constant topic and it is a constant question that I get asked that I can't answer that I that I try and link to people because I don't know because emotional eating to me is still something that I am trying to work out in my head and try and remove the the worry about it whilst also keeping some concept of making sure that it isn't my only coping mechanism to my emotions and all sorts of things so I'm still working that shit out and maybe you are too I mean this is a constant process for most of us um, but uh, I am definitely not qualified to explain on this situation so can you can you please explain why it's not automatically a bad thing that we are so often told that it is Oh God, yeah, you're right. I wish I wish that narrative would disappear that emotional eating is a bad thing. Because the only reason we see it as a bad thing really is because of the unintended consequences, which tend to be weight gain. And because of the narrative of diet culture that says that consuming more food than you need or consuming food when you're not hungry is is bad and therefore you are a bad person. But if we consider the fact and we take diet culture out of the equation and we consider that actually this is a coping mechanism that works, mm -hmm. it may work in the short term, but hey, that's still something because without the short term, there is no long term. So we need the short term and it works. It is effective and it's often for a lot of people, it is consistently and reliably something that helps them as a coping mechanism. The fact that that exists is kind of amazing. The fact that you know there is something that exists that you can consistently rely on to help you out when you are feeling things that you are struggling with. That is kind of amazing. I think the fact that that exists, like take diet culture out of the equation and that's actually kind of amazing that that's a thing. 
But of course, diet culture comes in and says this is a bad thing. And look, I agree that an over-reliance on any one coping mechanism is not ideal because it creates a very fragile system. Mm. We ideally want to have several different things we rely on or several different things that can help us cope with emotions if we're struggling because that's more stable because it means, you know, for example, if exercise was our coping mechanism and then we, you know, we, we, break, we break our leg. Well, now you've got nothing. That's not that's not particularly great either. So we want several things to navigate different aspects of life and different terrains and different different stages of life or just different things that come up. And food is not the problem when it comes to emotional eating. Food is the solution. It's the coping mechanism, it's the crutch, whatever you want to call it. So then when I present that to people, the question then becomes, well, what is the problem that you're trying to solve with food. In other words, I try and ask people, what are you really hungry for? Because you are trying to solve an emotional hunger with physical fullness, and it is very effective. Because when we feel emotionally empty, or we feel lonely, we feel like something's missing, mm. that feeling of fullness, of physical fullness, is wonderfully comforting and cozy and warm, and it's quite lovely. And it, it like I say, it works in the short term. But if we can also figure out what it is we're actually needing, what it is we're actually after, and that could be so many things. It could be that we need some kind of connection with people. It could be that we need to feel better in ourselves. We need some self-worth. We need a sense of purpose. Maybe, I mean, to go really deep, maybe we need unconditional love because we did not receive that from our parents because our parents told us that we were only loved if certain conditions were met. So that leaves a certain emptiness that something that can be very effectively temporarily filled with food. It's not a bad thing. It's something that really, really helps. Mm. But if we can understand it better, be kinder to ourselves in the process of understanding that and find other things to help us cope, that generally just leaves us in a better position in life where we are more resilient and more able to cope with a wider variety of situations. And am I right in thinking that um, a bit like how choosing certain foods to label as bad and um and kind of putting them on this pedestal where that kind of restriction can often lead to them having more power or have more feeling of power over you is there an element to treating food as a coping mechanism as a bad thing almost giving it more power and and inability to be able to find other mechanisms to cope because that one is placed on this like it works but I can't do it it's so bad for me because there is there like a crossover between those two as well oh hugely yeah because generally the more we tell ourselves we can't have something the more we kind of tend to want it mm. and some emotional eating isn't emotional eating it's actually just eating a lot because you're really hungry and you've been restricting mm. so I mean that is an element to that as well which is why it's also important to ask yourself well am I actually physically hungry because if you are that's maybe not emotional eating that's you know you eating because you're hungry that's a little bit different yeah. but yeah when we call certain foods bad and certain foods good people tend to find that the foods they end up choosing as comfort food are more likely to be these so-called bad foods. And that we eat those bad foods to push down those so-called bad emotions. Are you sensing a pattern here? Because I definitely <laughs> am. So when we take away these kind of binary black and white, good emotions, bad emotions, good food, bad foods, if we can actually insert some nuance into that, that also can really help. 
See, I think that's fascinating. In like a really a really good way because it I think it just gives I think it gives so much power back to people who feel like they are um as long as they can allow themselves to believe it because that's hard in and of itself. Um but who feel like they're trapped in this uh, food makes me feel good but I'm told I'm not allowed to use food to make me feel good and so I must stop doing that and maybe I'll do something else but now this food I want it even more and it's just oh it's I know I I was definitely in that at one point it wasn't wasn't fun by any stretch of the imagination and it also wasn't easy to admit that the other the opposite was true because there was so much fear that well if this other one is true then I'm just going to get fat and uh, I don't want that either because that's also bad and it's yeah so for people who, for people who who can't necessarily um afford or have the ability to see somebody like you to talk about that kind of stuff um I know you can't just like give give all your wares out over the internet but are there are there some like basic good practices to put in place that can really help with that kind of stuff that you could that you could advise that I'm also going to steal for myself because always sensible yeah absolutely and I think it starts with noticing what's actually going on and I say noticing because there's no judgment there's no criticism attached to it you are simply observing with curiosity hmm. and that is asking yourself firstly noticing am I physically hungry or am I feeling something if you're physically hungry that's your body telling you you need food so please 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 <laughs> just go and eat something please 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 hmm. If you have an idea of what hunger feels like for you and that those various signals are not there, then I think the next question becomes, well, if I'm not hungry, what am I feeling? And really noticing what it is that you're actually feeling. And I really like to use a wheel of emotions with a lot of my clients because generally people have quite vague words such as I feel sad or I feel weird, I feel bad. And you know, weird and bad aren't emotions, generally speaking. But uh, sad, very vague. What kind of sad are you referring to? Do you feel grief? Do you feel vulnerable? Do you feel overwhelmed? Do you just feel like just a bit blur? Like there's a huge amount of variation within that. Mm. So can we figure out exactly what it is you're feeling? And maybe just kind of notice, give it a name because it makes it a bit friendlier if you know what it's called rather than it being this kind of unknown entity that's just swirling around in your body and your brain. And sometimes it can also be helpful to figure out where it lives, just to really understand it. Where does it live? What does it feel like? So, I mean, you can't see this, but right now I'm pointing to my chest because for me, when I feel intense sadness, it feels like someone's crushing my heart and my lungs to pieces. So I feel it here. And that's why I'm instinctively kind of touching my body in this particular place. Mm. Whereas anger can often feel like it's kind of rising like fire. And just noticing this is really interesting because it tells you a lot about what's going on for you. And then the question becomes, well, if this is what I'm feeling, what can I do to help with this? Yes, you can use food. Absolutely, you can rely on food as a crutch. But also, what else is there? What do I really need? Maybe do I need food and something else? Maybe I can tell myself, okay, well, I will try this. And if that doesn't work, food is my backup because that's not restricting. That's not saying something instead of food. It hopefully doesn't feel restricting in the same way. But it's, it's your backup, which means it gives you the opportunity to try something else in a safe environment. But your trusty, reliable coping mechanism, your food, it's still there. We're definitely not taking that away. And then noticing how you feel afterwards and noticing any change, noticing what's going on for you. 
And if you're feeling something really quite strong, it's perhaps also worth asking, where has this come from? Is there a reason that I can identify as to why I'm feeling this? In other words, what am I really hungry for? And then ideally afterwards, respond to yourself with kindness and with acceptance and then move the fuck on. <laughs> I, I mean, I love that. I feel like I should clip that and just use that as like a, just put, move the fuck on. Um, <laughs> after all the other stuff, the other stuff was really important. I'm not belittling the rest of the important stuff. <laughs> but no, that's, I mean, honestly, I think I think that's great. And I, it, it upsets me it upsets me that that people don't talk about that enough. I don't really understand why. I mean, I un, like I, I get it. There aren't, there isn't an overwhelming um, understanding of psychotherapy. That's exactly why you're doing the whole thing. But I feel like some of this stuff, in an ideal world, shouldn't need to have an understanding of psychotherapy to understand about emotional eating, especially from a from a a place of people who are qualified nutritionists or dietitians who are dealing with patients and clients and people who emotional eating is everybody does that at some point in time um so yeah it, it yeah it's what makes us human yeah emotions make us human and we all eat so it's a bit weird that why they wouldn't be linked in some way, shape or form. Exactly. It's not possible for them not to be linked because every time you eat, you feel something. Every time you eat something that you've eaten before, you may have memories of the last time you ate it. Or if it's something totally new, there's perhaps that uncertainty or the fear factor that comes in and plays a role with that. Mm. The other part also that we haven't really mentioned is that not eating in response to emotions is also a form of emotional eating because some people very much choose to avoid food as a way of dealing with their emotions emotions and I see quite a clear divide I have some clients who will eat all of the food in response to certain emotions and I have some clients who when they are feeling quite overwhelmed with a whole mixture of feelings their default is not to eat Mm. and it's really interesting to trace those things back in terms of where they've come from and what experiences people have had in life and you don't have to do that necessarily because you can take a very behavioral pr- approach, which is what intuitive eating does. It focuses on the behavioral aspect of emotional eating in terms of satisfying your hunger and then figuring out other coping mechanisms. I mean, you can do that without having a deep understanding of someone's trauma or like their past childhood experiences. For me, I find humans endlessly fascinating endlessly disappointing and frustrating sometimes you are a human as well by the way yeah i know i find myself endlessly interesting as well <laughs> it just sounds weird the whole i find humans very fascinating <laughs> I, I find just i find people incredibly interesting and fascinating and so i want to mm. delve into the aspects of their childhood that have perhaps led them to this place and it just so happens that those are the people who've decided to come and see me in the first place. As time has gone by, I find that there's so much, so many more of the clients who decide to come see me are just a bit more complex in terms of their childhoods and their history and the kind of things that they have experienced in life. I, I only recognized it recently, but I've childhood experiences that I had impacted my relationship with food massively, impacted my my um eventual body size that i grew up in um impacted literally everything um from elements of of food insecurity that i didn't realize were food insecurity it is yeah i mean i think you said at the beginning in terms of your advice was the first thing to do was to kind of acknowledge it as a thing 
that to me it's it goes down that whole line of like admitting you're an alcoholic or and I know admission wasn't the word used because it's not a bad thing identifying that you are an alcoholic and then therefore seeking help is so much easier and identifying that I had these elements in my childhood that impacted me makes dealing with them so much easier so yeah I love I love that I, I I find humans fascinating too but not in a weird alien way so uh <laughs> I think I think we are I'm just teasing you I think it's just it's a word we don't use very much in terms of humans is it um but yeah I find I, I find this whole thing stupidly fascinating which is why I wanted to ask you about it because I think it is and I think it's so important too um now look we could talk about um, we could talk about psychotherapy and emotional eating for four hours. But I think what might be quite nice, seeing as the 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 way that the two of us actually became friends, I feel like was over neutral bollocks. Yeah, that's fair. Um, and the most ridiculousness of <laughs> of the world of, of nutrition when it comes to stupid advice. So much so you now have a you now have a, a, a cool podcast looking at specifically um movies let's call them movies they're not really documentaries are they um nutrition movies like ridiculous like like any of them I mean what's the latest one you ended up having to watch the magic pill oh god (laughs) it's so bad (laughs) so bad we waited until Pete Evans was deplatformed before we tackled that one (laughs) why wait I mean he's just yeah I mean well I'm glad I'm glad that he is it's saving some saving countless number of people being suckered into conspiracy theories and nonsense he's he's a nightmare yeah he is um so um so what i would like to do to to kind of end this would be to to thrash out some some neutral bollocks if possible yeah let's Um, do it and ask you a few questions which uh maybe the only officially pre-prepared ones but now i say they're pre-prepared i'm now trying to quickly rack my head as to what these questions were (laughs) um but what they are is what is the most ridiculous piece of Nutribolics that you used to believe that you don't anymore? Dairy leaches calcium from your bones. Oh, no, you didn't. That's the one I'm going to go with. Not that one. I did, I did. <laughs> what, you mean dairy products that contain all of the elements and nutrients that our bones use to grow and become strong? I don't understand that myth. <laughs> that very same dairy. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I'm glad. And also, context <laughs> oh. context for that is also is that I love cheese. Oh, yeah. Like, I love cheese so much. And it was when I accidentally ate cheese for the first time again after years and was like, fuck, it's so good <laughs> that I decided I needed to eat more of it again. Okay. Now I need to know how you accidentally eat cheese. Well, I was in Australia and I was in a vegetarian and vegan restaurant with a friend at the time who was primarily raw vegan and an absolutely, in hindsight, insane person who uh, promoted Gerson therapy. So that was was interesting. And um, I ordered a roasted veggie stack and I forgot to order the vegan version. So it came with cheese. And I I was like... "Mm." I could send this back or I could just eat it. <laughs> so I ate it and tried to position my plate in a way that my friend sitting opposite me wouldn't notice that there was cheese on it. And it was glorious. It was so good. Did she notice the cheese? 
if she did she didn't say anything oh well i feel like she's raw vegan she would have said something i thought i think so too i think if she had noticed i think she would have said like is that cheese and i've been like what i hadn't even noticed what oh my god i need to send it back by the way that's not me that's not me being rude about all vegans that's me being rude about raw vegans specifically um just to clarify there is a difference there's a distinction raw vegans who promote gerson therapy yeah i think we're allowed to shit on raw vegans who promote gerson therapy oh there's a weird joke there about shitting on raw vegans who promote gerson therapy seeing as gerson therapy includes regular enemas up the rectum right there's the joke nailed it (laughs) um yeah don't google gerson therapy don't do it coffee um so that was that was a great answer that question um question number two what is the most ridiculous recent Nutribolics that you have seen? And you're allowed to say intuitive fasting if you want, um, or it could be something else. Oh, and there was something in particular that someone said recently on my Instagram that made me just go, what the fuck? And I think it's, it, it's like, I mean, ideally I want to go with something like the carnivore diet because that makes no sense to me. But I'm going to go with something really specific where someone said that eating tomato seeds is dangerous. Ooh. And it's just such a small thing, but it's also just madness. What the hell? Tomato seeds are totally fine. It's just, it's so specific and so strange and so devoid of context that it has baffled me ever since. What, was there any logic? Like, uh, not good logic, but was there any logic? Not that I found. And I mean, huh. this was on my my weekly Q&A on Instagram, which doesn't leave a lot of room for people to provide context when they ask questions. But it was just a bit weird. And I did get a lot of messages from people being like, what the hell is this? <laughs> I was like, I don't know either. Is is the lycopene in the seeds? Is that what is that what somebody's been told potentially? Is lycopene the right word? It is the right word. And I don't think it's in the seeds. I feel like it's in the flesh. Yeah. I mean, you don't need to be afraid of lycopene either to, to clarify people who are who are listening to this, even though there are books written by medical doctors saying that you should be afraid of lycopene in tomatoes and therefore avoid all the is it i just i just ah oh, oh, burn them all not the doctors the books um although anyway um so and then <laughs> <Okay>. question <laughs> burn the ones that make nutrition movies um called anyway um the the last question um to i might have to cut that i don't know maybe i should uh, maybe i should leave it in um for legal reasons you may have to cut that yeah <laughs> maybe i'll cut what i said laws are quite strict in the uk yeah i'm gonna cut the one that those three words i said but leave everything else in and now everyone's gonna be really annoyed that they don't know what i said it's gonna be great you can guess um, i'm sure you can guess fill in, fill in the gap <clears throat> so <laughs> last question uh what is the one piece of nutribolics that you wish magically people were automatically immune from believing can i go for a vague one? Oh, i don't know maybe try it and then i might make you use a specific one afterwards the vague one is there are no good or bad foods fair i mean that that counts if you need something specific it's that it's that certain foods can cure cancer i'd want to get rid of that one yeah yeah i'm good i'm good with both of those in other words insert any food here cures cancer get rid of that (laughs) well because food can't cure cancer there is no nuance there exactly it's a mess and it's wrong oh it's so wrong and it's really dangerous yeah like really dangerous it's just i mean it's gerson therapy all over again it's it's, somehow somehow it's come back to that (laughs) it's just it's and it's even more dangerous if you combine it with coffee enemas just you know just as a general (laughs) thing oh my word yeah it really is (laughs) Um, don't put coffee up your ass it belongs in your mouth you're picking the wrong (laughs) orifice
Uh, yeah <laughs> you could say that with all with all actually no i'm i refuse to to elaborate any more on mom and my mind was going with that um uh that sounds like going a, a very strange direction yeah i mean i feel like that sounds like a great place <laughs> to pull the cord um <laughs> mm-hmm.